This is a reading of Section 4, The Duties of Husbands, from the work Of Domestical Duties by William Gouge, the 1622 edition, published by Stillwater's Revival Books. Stillwater's main website is located at www.puritandownloads.com. That's www.puritandownloads.com. Stillwaters may also be reached by phone at 780-450-3730. Please check out Stillwater's website for their amazing Puritan hard drive a collection of over 12,500 reformational resources on a portable USB hard drive with an embedded database and powerful custom knowledge-based program included, all which are upgradable. Also, see all the other free and discounted Reformation resources Stillwaters makes available as digital downloads and in other formats at puritandownloads.com. Email swrb at swrb.com with the word add in the subject line to be added to SWRB's email list. We are beginning this reading of Of Domestical Duties by William Gouge at page 349. The Fourth Treatise, Husband's Particular Duties, Section 1, of the general heads of this treatise. As the wife is to know her duty, so the husband much more his because he is to be a guide and good example to his wife, he is to dwell with her according to knowledge, 1 Peter 3, 7. The more eminent his place is, the more knowledge he ought to have how to walk worthy thereof. Neglect of duty in him is more dishonorable unto God, because by virtue of his place he is the image and glory of God, 1 Corinthians 11:7, and more pernicious not to his wife only, but also to the whole family, because of that power and authority he hath, which he may abuse to the maintenance of his wickedness, having in the house no superior power to restrain his fury. Whereas the wife, though never so wicked, may by the power of her husband be kept under and restrained from outrage. Wherefore, to go on in order, in laying down the husband's duties, as we have the wives, we are to consider, one, the duties themselves, two, the reasons to enforce them. In setting down the duties, we must note, one, the matter wherein they consist, two, the manner how they are to be performed. The apostle comprises the whole matter of them all under love, which is the sum and head of all. This we will first handle, and then proceed to other particulars. Section 2. Of that love which husbands owe their wives. This head of all the, of all the rest, love, is expressly set down and alone mentioned in this and in many other places of Scripture, whereby it is evident that all other duties are comprised under it. To omit other places where this duty is urged, in this place, love is four times by name expressed, besides that it is intimated under many other terms and phrases. Whosoever therefore takes a wife must, in this respect that she is his wife, love her, as it is noted of Isaac, the best pattern of husbands noted in Scripture, he took Rebekah, she was his wife, and he loved her. Many good reasons hereof may be rendered. 1. Because no duty on the husband's part can be rightly performed except it be seasoned with love. The Apostle exhorts all Christians to do all their things in love. 
1 Corinthians 16:14. Much more ought husbands, though in place they be above their wives, yet love may not be forgotten. 2. Because of all persons on earth, a wife is the most proper object of love. Nor friend, nor child, nor parent ought so to be loved as a wife. She is termed the wife of his bosom, to show that she ought to be as his heart in his bosom. Deuteronomy 13.6 3. Because his place of eminency and power of authority may soon puff him up, and make him insult over his wife, and trample her under his feet, if an entire love of her be not planted in his heart. To keep him from abusing his authority is love so much pressed upon him. 4. Because wives, through the weakness of their sex, for they are the weaker vessels, are much prone to provoke their husbands. So as if there be not love predominant in the husband, there is like to be but little peace between man and wife. Love covers a multitude of imperfections. 5. Because as Christ by his love first manifested, provoked the church to love him, so a husband, by loving his wife, should provoke her to love him again, showing himself like the sun which is the fountain of light, and from which the moon receives what light she has, so he should be the fountain of love to his wife. Objection. Love was before laid down as a common duty appertaining to both man and wife. How is it then here required as a particular and peculiar duty of a husband? Answer. In regard of the general extent of love, it is indeed a common duty belonging to one as well as to the other, yea, belonging to all Christians, to all men, for it is the very nature of love, and a special property thereof, to seek not her own things, but the good of others, which all are bound to do by virtue of the bond of nature, more than others Christians, by virtue of the bond of the Spirit, among Christians, especially wives and husbands, by virtue of the matrimonial bond, of married couples, most of all husbands, by virtue of their place in charge. Their place is a place of authority, which without love will soon turn into tyranny. Their charge is especially and above all to seek the good of their wives, as wives are the chiefest and greatest charge of husbands, so their chiefest and greatest care must be for them. The parents and friends of wives, as they give over all their authority to their husbands, so they cast all care upon them. Wherefore, that husbands may take the more care of their wives, and the better seek their good, they ought after a peculiar manner to love them. Husbands are most of all bound to love, and bound to love their wives most of all. Thus this affection of love is a distinct duty in itself peculiarly appertaining to a husband, and also a common condition which must be annexed to every other duty of a husband to season and sweeten the same. His look, his speech, his carriage, and all his actions, wherein he has to do with his wife, must be seasoned with love. Love must show itself in his commandments, in his reproofs, in his instructions, in his admonitions, in his authority, in his familiarity, when they are alone together, when they are in company before others, in civil affairs, in religious matters, at all times, in all things as salt must be first and last upon the table and eaten with every bit of meat so must love be first in a husband's heart and last out of it and mixed with everything wherein he has to do with his wife section three 
of a husband's hatred and want of love. Contrary hereunto is hatred of heart, which vice, as it is very odious and detestable in itself, so much more when the wife is made the object thereof. As love provokes a husband to do his wife what good he can, so hatred to do her what mischief he can. Moses notes a man's hatred of his wife to be a cause of much mischief, for the nearer and dearer any persons be, the more violent will that hatred be which is fastened on them. Hence it was that a divorce was suffered to be made between a man and his wife in case he hated her, which law questionless was made for relief of the wife, lest the hatred which her husband conceived against her should work her some mischief if he were forced to keep her as his wife, which Christ seems to imply in these words, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives. This, therefore, being so pestilent a poison, let husbands take heed how they suffer it to soak into them. Neither is it sufficient for a husband not to hate his wife, for even the want of love, though it be only a privation, yet it is a great vice, and contrary also to the forenamed duty of love. Where this want of love is, there can be no duty well performed, even as when the great wheel of a clock, the first mover of all the rest, is out of frame, never a wheel can be in good order. They that think lightly hereof plainly discover that there is little or no love of God in them at all. For if the apostle's inference be good, taken from a man's neighbor or brother whom he has seen, it will much more be good having relation to a wife. For how can he who loves not his wife, whom God has given to him, as a token of his favor and as a helpmeet for him, to be in his bosom and ever in his sight, yea, to be no more two but one flesh, love God whom he has not seen? If any man says he loves God and hate his wife, he is a liar. Let husbands therefore by loving their wives give evidence that they love God. Section 4 Of a Husband's Wise Maintaining His Authority All the branches which grow out of this root of love, as they have respect to husband's duties, may be drawn to two heads. One, a wise maintaining of his authority. Two, a right managing of the same. That these two are branches of a husband's love is evident by the place wherein God has set him, which is a place of authority. For the best good that any can do, and so the best fruits of love which he can show forth to any, are such as are done in his own proper place, and by virtue thereof. If then a husband relinquishes authority, he disables himself from doing that good, and showing those fruits of love which otherwise he might. If he abuses authority, he turns the edge and point of his sword amiss. Instead of holding it over his wife for her protection, he turns it into her bowels to her destruction, and so manifests thereby more hatred than love. Now then, to handle these two severally and distinctly. 1. That a husband ought wisely to maintain his authority is implied under this apostolical precept, Husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge, that is, as such as are well able to maintain the honor of that place wherein God has set you not as sots and fools without understanding. The same is also implied under the titles of preeminence which the scripture attributes to husbands, as Lord, Master, Head, Guide, Image and Glory of God, and so forth. The honor and authority of God and of His Son Christ Jesus 
is maintained in and by the honor and authority of a husband, as the king's authority is maintained by the authority of his privy council and other magistrates under him. Yea, as a husband's authority is in the family maintained by the authority of his wife, for as the man is the glory of God, so the woman is the glory of the man. The good of the wife herself is thus also much promoted, even as the good of the body is helped forward by the heads abiding in his place. Should the head be put under any of the parts of the body, the body and all the parts thereof could not but receive much damage thereby. Even so the wife and whole family would feel the damage of the husband's loss of his authority. Question 1. Is it in the power of the husband to maintain his own authority? Answer, yes, in his more than any other's. For note the counsel of the apostle to Timothy, though in another case yet very pertinent to this purpose. Let no man despise thy youth. It was therefore in Timothy's power to maintain his honor, and not to suffer it to be despised, and so it is in a husband's power. Question 2. How may a husband best maintain his authority? Answer. That direction which the apostle gives to Timothy to maintain his authority may fitly be applied for this purpose unto a husband. Be an example in conversation, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in pureness. As if he had said, If you walk before them worthy of your place and calling, and worthy of that honor and respect which is due thereunto, showing forth the fruits of love, faith, and other like graces, assuredly they will reverence your youth. But if otherwise you carry yourself basely and not beseeming a minister, you give them just occasion to despise you. Even thus may husbands best maintain their authority by being, a, being an example in love, gravity, piety, honesty, and so forth. The fruits of these and other like graces showed forth by husbands before their wives and family cannot but work a reverend and dutiful respect in their wives and whole house toward them. For by this means they shall more clearly discern the image of God shine forth in their faces. Objection. Very goodness and grace itself is hated of wicked and ungodly wives. It was an act of piety that made me call, despise David. 1 Samuel 6. Answer. Granted to be so, yet this may be a good direction for such husbands as have not such wicked wives. Second answer. This does not always so fall out, no, nor yet for the most part in those that are wicked. True virtue and integrity does often cause admiration in such as love it not. 3. Though some be so crooked and perverse a disposition as to take occasion of contempt where none is given, yet shall that husband justify himself before God and man that carries himself worthy of his place. Section 5. Of Husbands Losing Their Authority Contrary is their practice, who by their profaneness, riotousness, drunkenness, lewdness, lightness, unthriftiness, and other like base carriage, make themselves contemptible, and so lose their authority. Though a wife ought not to take these occasions to despise her husband, yet it is a just judgment on him to be despised, seeing he makes himself contemptible. Contrary also to the forenamed directions is the stern, rough, and cruel carriage of husbands, who by violence and tyranny go about to maintain their authority. Force may indeed cause fear, but a slavish fear. Such a fear as breeds more hatred than love, 
more inward contempt than outward respect. And contrary is their servile disposition, who against their own judgment yield to the bent of their wives' minds in such things as are unlawful. They will lose their authority rather than give discontent to their wives, as Adam. O remember that a woman casts this possessor of paradise out of his possession. To yield to a wife in evil is a fault expressly forbidden by the law, and yet a fault whereinto not only wicked Ahab, but also wise Solomon fell. How heinous a fault and how grievous a fall this was in Solomon, the fearful issue thereof shows. Like to him, not in wisdom, but in this point of egregious folly, are such as upon their wives' instigation suffer priests and Jesuits to lurk and celebrate masses in their houses and yield to be present thereat themselves. Like to Ahab are such magistrates as suffer their wives to oversway them in course of justice. Hence it comes to pass that more petitions and suits are made to the wives of magistrates in the cases of justice than to the magistrates themselves, and the favor of their wives is more esteemed than their own. So as the power of governing and the main stroke in determining matters is from their wives, they are but the mouths and instrument of their wives, insomuch as among the common people the title of their places and offices is given to their wives. Some husbands suffer this by reason of their fearful and foolish disposition, wanting courage and wisdom to maintain the honor of their places against the insolency of their wives. Others, upon a subtle, covetous, wicked mind, that by the means of their wives there may be more freedom for receiving bribes. Among these I may reckon those who against their own mind, to satisfy their wives' mind, suffer both wives and children to follow the fashion, to attire themselves unbeseeming their places, to frequent light company with the like, and also those who upon their wives' importunity are moved, as Samson was, to reveal such secrets as are not meet to be known. Husbands may hearken to their wives moving good things, but they may not obey them in evil things. If they do, their fault is double, one in doing evil, two in losing their authority. Let husbands therefore be very watchful against their wives' evil instigations. It was Satan's last while to labor to supplant Job by his wife, and by this does he subvert many in these days. Section 6 Of Husbands' High Account of Their Wives as authority must be well maintained, so must it be well managed, for which purpose two things are needful. One, that a husband tenderly respect his wife. Two, that providently he care for her. A husband's tender respect of his wife is inward and outward. Inward in regard of his opinion of her, affection to her. Outward in regard to his carriage towards her. For a husband's opinion of his wife, two things are to be weighed, her place, her person. 1. Her place is indeed a place of inferiority and subjection, yet the nearest to equality that may be a place of common equity in many respects, wherein man and wife are after a sort even fellows and partners. Hence then it follows that the husband must account his wife as a yoke fellow and companion. This is one point of giving honor to the wife, as it is implied under that phrase, whereby the end of making a wife is noted, 
which in our English is translated meet for him, word for word, as before him. That is, like himself, one in whom he might see himself, or even, to use our apostle's word, himself. These phrases imply a kind of fellowship, as also the many prerogatives that are common to both, which have been noted before. As a wise acknowledgment of her husband's superiority is the groundwork of all her duties, so a husband's acknowledgment of that fellowship which is between him and his wife will make him carry himself much more amiably, familiarly, lovingly, and every way as beseems a good husband towards her. Section 7. Of that fellowship which is between man and wife, notwithstanding a wife's inferiority. Objection. Fellowship between man and wife cannot stand with a wife's inferiority and subjection. Answer. They are a very mean capacity that cannot see how these may stand together. Is there not a fellowship between superior and inferior magistrates in relation to their subjects? Yea, the scripture mentions a fellowship between Christ the head and other saints in relation to the glory whereof all are made partakers, for it terms us joint heirs with Christ, and in relation to God's people, a fellowship between God and his ministers, for it terms them labors together with God. Yet none can deny the saints and ministers to be inferior and in subjection to Christ and God. But distinctly to answer the objection. 1. There may not only be a fellowship, but also an equality in some things between those that in other things are one of them inferior and subject, as between man and wife in the power of one another's bodies. For the wife, as well as the husband, is therein both a servant and a mistress, a servant to yield her body, a mistress to have the power of his. 2. There may be fellowship in the very same things wherein there is inferiority. For fellowship has respect to the thing itself, inferiority to the measure and manner. As in giving light the sun and moon have a fellowship, but in the measure and manner the moon is inferior. The moon has not so much light as the sun, and that which it has it has from the sun. And as in governing, the king and other magistrates have a fellowship, but in the measure and manner of government they are inferior to him. Even so it is between man and wife. In many things wherein there is a fellowship, the wife is notwithstanding inferior, so as inferiority may stand with fellowship. 3. There are no unequals between which there is so near a parity as betwixt a man and wife. If, therefore, there may be a fellowship between any that are superior and inferior one to another, then much more between man and wife. As the soul, therefore, rules over the body by a mutual and loving consent and agreement, so must a man over his wife. Section 8. Of Husbands Too Mean Account of Wives Contrary is the conceit of many, who think there is no difference between a wife and servant but in familiarity and that wives were made to be servants to their husbands because subjection, fear, and obedience are required of them. Whence it comes to pass that wives are oft used little better than servants, a conceit and practice savoring too much of heathenish and sottish arrogancy. Did God at first take the wife out of man's side that man should tread her under his feet? Or rather, that he should set her at his side next to him, above all children, servants, or any other in the family, how near or dear unto him soever. For none can be nearer than a wife, and none ought to be dearer. Section 9. 
of husbands' good esteem of their own wives. For the person of a wife, a husband ought to esteem that particular person to whom by God's providence he is joined in marriage to be the fittest and best for him. This is implied under that particle of restraint, own, noted by the Apostle where he says, Husbands, love your own wives, and again presses it under a comparison of the body, as your own bodies. Everyone thinks his own body best and fittest for him. A man might happily wish some defects or enormities in his own body to be amended, and desire that his were like others, more straight, strong, and comely than his own. Yet would he not have his head to be upon that other man's body? The same opinion ought a man that would love his wife to have of her. Good reason there is for him so to do. For true is the proverb, if it be taken rightly, marriages are first made in heaven. That is, God has an overruling hand in ordering them, which Solomon implies by that opposition which he makes between wealth and a wife. That is from our fathers, this from the Lord. In which respect he says, he which finds a wife receives favor of the Lord. If therefore you are loved of God and love him, he will make your wife prove a good thing to you. Objection. A wife may be a very lewd and wicked woman. How then can she be accounted the best wife? Answer. 1. It may be she was good enough when first she was brought to you, but you, by your evil example, or negligent government, or hard usage, has made her so bad as she is. Which if it be so, then is she to be considered not as you have marred her, but as you did marry her. 2. Though she be not in relation to other wives the best in condition, yet in relation to you she may be the best in event. For if not for your ease and quiet, yet for trial of your wisdom and patience, and so as a school of virtue she may be unto you. As a skillful pilot's sufficiency is tried and known by tempestuous seas, so a man's wisdom by a troublesome wife. Yea, she may be given you as a punishment of some other sins as seeking after a beautiful, honorable, rich wife, proper wife, rather than a religious and honest one, or seeking her without any direction or help first sought of God, or otherwise than you have warrant from God, as by stealth and without parents' consent, or some other sins in another kind, to bring you to repentance, or as a means to restrain and wean you from some future sins whereunto you are subject, and so prove a blessed cross to keep you from a fearful curse. Section 10 Of Husbands' Preposterous Opinion of Their Own Wives Contrary is a corrupt and perverse opinion which many have of their own wives, thinking them of all other the worst and unfittest. Yea, though they be such as every way both in gifts and qualities of mind and also in grace and comeliness of body deserve all good respect and esteem, whereas others, which look with a single eye, commend their good parts, they misinterpret and misjudge all as if their wives be religious. They think them hypocrites, if grave, sober, and modest, melancholy, if cheerful, wanton, if they keep at home idle drones, if they take occasion, though never so just, of going abroad, gatters and light-footed, this bad opinion of their wives is a cause that their hearts are clean removed from their own and set upon strange flesh, whereby the devil gains what he delights in, that is, to put asunder such as God has joined together, 
and to join those whom God has put asunder. Section 11 Of Husbands' Entire Affection to Their Wives An husband's affection to his wife must be answerable to his opinion of her. He ought, therefore, to delight in his wife entirely, that is, so to delight in her as wholly and only delighting in her. In this respect, the prophet's wife is called the desire or delight or pleasure of his eyes, that wherein he most of all delighted, and therefore by a property so called. Such delight did Isaac take in his wife, as it drove out a contrary strong passion, namely the grief which he took for the departure of his mother. For it is noted that he loved her and was comforted after his mother's death. This kind of affection the wise man does elegantly set forth in these words, Rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Let her be as the loving hind and pleasant roe, and be thou ravished always with her love. Here note both the metaphors and also the hyperbole which are used to set forth a husband's delight in his wife. In the metaphors, again, note both the creatures whereunto a wife is resembled and also the attributes given to them. The creatures are two, an hind and a roe, which are the females of a heart and a roebuck. Now it is noted of the heart and roebuck that of all other beasts they are most enamored, as I may so speak, with their mates, and even mad again in their heat and desire after them. These metaphors has Solomon used to set forth that unfeigned and earnest, entire and ardent affection which a husband ought to bear unto his wife, which being taken in a good sense and rightly applied, so as they exceed not the bounds of Christian modesty and decency, are very fit and pertinent to the purpose. If we stretch them beyond modesty, we wrong the penman of them, or rather the Holy Ghost that directed him, and propound a pernicious pattern unto husbands. The attributes given to the forenamed creatures much amplify the point. The former is termed a loving hind, the latter a pleasant row, word for word, and hind of loves, a row of favor, that is, an exceedingly loved and favored, for to set forth the extent of God's love unto his Son, Christ is called the Son of his love. These comparisons applied to a wife do lively set forth that delight which a husband ought to take in her, and yet it is much further amplified by the hyperbole used in this phrase, Be thou ravished with her love, word for word, err thou in her love, by which no sinful error or dotage is meant, but a lawful, earnest affection, implying two things especially. First, so far to exceed as to make a man oversee some such blemishes in his wife as others would soon espy and mislike. Or else, to count them no blemishes, delighting in her never a whit the less for them. For example, if a man have a wife not very beautiful or proper, but having some deformity in her body, some imperfection in her speech, sight, gesture, or any other part of her body, yet so to affect her and to delight in her, as if she were the fairest and every way most complete woman in the world. Secondly, so highly to esteem, so ardently to affect, so tenderly to respect her, as others may think him even to dote on her. A husband's affection to his wife cannot be too great if it be kept within the bonds of honesty, sobriety, and comeliness. The wife's affection ought to be as great to her husband, Yet because of the husband's place of authority, 
he must especially take all occasions to manifest this his inward affection. Read the Song of Songs, and in it you shall observe such affection manifested by Christ to his spouse as would make one think he did, with reverence in a holy manner to use the phrase, even err in his love and dote on her. A good pattern and precedent for husbands, for nothing is more lovely than a good wife. Section 12 Of the Stoical Disposition of Husbands to Their Wives Contrary is the disposition of such husbands has, as have no heat or heart of affection in them, but Stoic-like delight no more in their own wives than in any other women, nor account them any dearer than others, a disposition no way warranted by the word. The faithful saints of God before mentioned, as also many other like to them, were no Stoics without all affection, nor did they think it a matter unbeseeming them, after a peculiar manner, to delight in their wives, witness Isaac sporting with his wife. For this is a privilege which appertains to the estate of marriage. But that I be not mistaken herein, let it be noted that the affection whereof I speak is not a carnal, sensual, beastly affection, but such a one as may stand with Christian gravity and sobriety having relation to the soul of a man's wife as well as to her body, grounded both on the near conjunction of marriage and also on the inward qualities of his wife. Thus far of a husband's inward respect of his wife, it follows to speak of his outward carriage towards her. Section 13. Of a husband's kind acceptance of such things as his wife does. St. Peter gives a general rule for a husband's outward carriage to his wife, which is that he dwell with her according to knowledge, that is, as a man able to order his carriage wisely to his own honor and his wife's good, that so she may have just cause to bless God that ever she was joined to such a husband. Out of this general these two branches sprout forth. 1. That a husband give no just offense to his wife. 2 that wisely he order that offense which is given by her. To avoid giving of offense, he must have respect, one, to that which she does as duty to him, two, to that which he does as duty to her. In regard of the former, two things are requisite. One, that he kindly accept what she is willing and able to do. Two, that he wisely commend and reward what she does well. Thus having for order's sake laid down these heads, I will distinctly handle the several points. The first particular wherein a husband shows himself to be a man of knowledge in walking before his wife is by a kind and respective acceptation of every good duty which his wife performs. Abraham, in testimony of his good acceptance of Sarah's pains in nursing her child, made a great feast when the child was weaned and Elkanah, on a like respect, gave liberty to his wife to do what seemed her best. A great encouragement must this needs be unto wives to be subject unto their husbands in all things, when they observe no part of their subjection to be carelessly neglected, but rather graciously accepted. It quickens the spirit of a wife to think that her care and pains in pleasing her husband shall not be in vain. Section 14 Of Husbands Slighting and Rejecting Their Wives' Goodness Contrary is their practice who, thinking all which a wife does to be but her duty, take little or no notice thereof, or, if they cannot but take notice of it, yet lightly regard it and slightly pass it over. This oftentimes makes a wife even repent the good she has done, as David repented the service which he had done for Nabal. 
The truth is that wives ought rather to look unto God for his acceptation than unto their husbands. And though their husbands will take no notice or not regard what good thing they do, yet for conscience' sake and for the Lord's sake, so to do their duty. But yet notwithstanding, considering our weakness and backwardness unto every duty, it cannot be denied but that an husband's slight regarding of his wife's goodness is an occasion to make her weary thereof, and that he does as much as in, it, as in him lies to make her repent thereof. But what may we say of such as scornfully reject their wives' duty, yea, like them the worse for making conscience thereof, and so, clean contrary to the rule of Christianity, overcome goodness with evil? Surely they show a very diabolical spirit to be in them, and cannot but minister much grief and offense to their wives, and make that which they do to be very irksome and tedious. Fathers ought not to provoke their children, much less husbands their wives. Section 15 Of Husbands Courteous Accepting Their Wives' Reverend Carriage For the better conceiving of this so needful a point, I will somewhat more particularly and distinctly apply the same to several duties of a wife, which were drawn to two heads, reverence, obedience. For the first, if a wife manifest her dutiful respect of her husband by any reverend behavior, gesture, or speech, he ought to meet her, as we say, in the middle of the way, and manifest his gracious acceptance thereof by some like courteous behavior, gesture, and speech, being seemly, not foolish. Objection. Thus shall an husband abase himself and disgrace his place. Answer. The courtesy which I speak of as it comes from a superior, being a mere voluntary matter and a token of kindness and favor, is no abasement of himself, but an advancement of his inferior. A great grace to her, no disgrace to him. Abram was counted to, of the Hittites a prince of God, yet in communing with them he bowed unto them. It is noted as a commendable thing in Esau that though at that time he was his brother's superior, at least he took himself so to be, yet observing how Jacob reverenced him, bowing seven times to the ground, he ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck. Most pertinent to the point is the example of the king Ahasuerus, who, beholding Esther's reverence standing before him, held out his scepter unto her, which in a king is a great courtesy. But to put the matter out of all question, let the example of Christ noted in Solomon's song be observed, and we shall find his courtesy every way answering the reverence of his spouse. Section 15. Of Husbands Too Great Loftiness Contrary is a lofty carriage of husbands to their wives, who overlook all reverence showed by wives, no more respecting their wives in this case than children or servants, or than kings do respect the reverence of their subjects. Oft I have noted that there is a great difference between a wife and all other inferiors, in which respect all evidences of reverence should much better be respected. Yet we know that kings and queens will put out their hands to be kissed by their subjects when they kneel before them, which is a token of courtesy. How much more ought husbands to show courtesy? Unworthy they are to be reverenced of their wives, who too lordlike overlook them. Section 16 of husbands ready yielding to their wives' humble, humble suits. Again, it being a token of reverence in a wife humbly to make known her desire to her husband, he ought to show so much courtesy as readily to grant her desire. This courtesy the forenamed Ahasuerus afforded to Esther, David to Bathsheba, Isaac to Rebekah, Abraham to Sarah, and many other husbands to their wives. 
Abraham showed herein such respect to his wife, that though the thing which she desired were grievous to him, yet he yielded to his wife. Objection. God first commanded him so to do. Answer. This adds the more force unto the argument, showing that it is God's express will that a husband should show this kind of courtesy to his wife. Much more ought a man to do at his wife's request than at any other's, whether friend, child, or parent. Yea, much more free, forward, and cheerful ought he to show himself in granting his wife's request than any other's, provided notwithstanding that her desire be of that which may lawfully be granted. To yield in things unlawful is to lose his authority, as was showed before. Section 17. Of Husbands' Harshness to Their Wives Contrary is the harshness of their disposition, who yield to their wives' request, as an hard milk cow letteth down her milk, not without much ado, whereby the grace of all their yielding is taken away. There can be no courtesy in yielding when it is against their mind and will forced from them. Their wives must ask and entreat again and again, yea, be forced to use the mediation of others to persuade their husbands to yield to their request before they will yield, if at all they yield. What is this but to proclaim to all the world that there is no affection in them to their wives? If a wife's breath be strange to her husband, assuredly his heart is first strange to her, which is the ready way to make him set his heart on strange women. Section 18. Of Husbands Forbearing to Exact All That They May As a wife's reverence, so also her obedience must be answered with her husband's courtesy. In testimony whereof, an husband must be ready to accept that wherein his wife shows herself willing to obey him. He ought to be sparing and exacting too much of her. In this case, he ought so to frame his carriage towards her, as that obedience which she performs may rather come from her own voluntary disposition, from a free conscience to Godwards, even because God has placed her in a place of subjection, and from a wife-like love, than from any exaction on her husband's part, and as it were by force. Husbands ought not to exact of their wives whatsoever wives ought to yield unto if it be exacted. They must observe what is lawful, needful, convenient, expedient, fit for their wives to do, yea, and what they are most willing to do before they be too peremptory in exacting it. For example, 1. Though the wife ought to go with her husband and dwell where he thinks meet, yet ought not he, unless by virtue of some urgent calling he be forced thereto, Remove her from place to place, and carry her from that place where she is well settled without her good liking. Jacob consulted with his wives, and made try all of their willingness before he carried them from their father's house. 2. Though she ought cheerfully to entertain what guests he brings into the house, yet ought not he to be grievous and burdensome therein unto her. The greatest care and pains for entertaining guests lies on the wife. She ought therefore to be tendered therein. If he observe her conscionable and wise, well able to manage and order matters about the house, yet loath to do anything without his consent, he ought to be ready and free in yielding his consent and satisfying her desire, as Elkanah. And if she be bashful and backwards in asking consent, he ought voluntarily of himself to offer it, yea, and to give her a general consent to order and dispose matters, as in her wisdom she sees meet, as the said Elkanah did. Do saith he to his wife, what seems to thee good, and the husband of that good housewife which Solomon describes in Proverbs 31. 
A general consent is especially requisite for ordering of household affairs, for it is a charge laid upon wives to guide the house, whereby it appears that the businesses of the house appertain and are most proper to the wife, in which respect she is called the housewife. So as therein husbands ought to refer matters to their ordering and not restrain them in every particular matter from doing anything without a special license and direction. To exemplify this in some particulars, it appertains in peculiar to a wife, one, to order the decking and trimming of the house, he references Proverbs 31, 21, and 22. 2. To dispose the ordinary provision for the family. Verse 15 of Proverbs 31. 3. To rule and govern maidservants. Genesis 16:6. 6. 4. To bring up children while they are young with the like. 1 Timothy 5:10, Titus 2:4. These therefore ought he with a general consent to refer to her discretion with limitation only of these two cautions. 1. That she have in some measure sufficient discretion, wit, and wisdom, and be not too ignorant, foolish, simple, lavish, and so forth. 2. That he have a general oversight in all, and so interpose his authority as he suffer nothing that is unlawful or unseemly to be done by his wife about house, children, servants, or other things, for 1. The general charge of all lies principally upon him. 2. He shall give an account unto God for all things that are amiss in his house. 3. The blame of all will also before men lie upon him. But those two cautions provided, he ought together with his general consent, put trust in his wife, as Potiphar did in Joseph, making herein a difference between a wife and all others, whether children of years, friends, or servants whom he employs in his affairs. Them in every particular he may direct for matter and manner, and take a straight account of them for expenses laid out or other things done, because what they do is wholly and only for another. To his wife, who is a joint parent of his children and governor of his house, to whose good the husband's wealth redounds, and in that respect does for herself that which she does for her husband, greater liberty and license must be given. Section 19 of husbands too much strictness towards their wives. Contrary is the rigor and austerity of many husbands, who stand upon the uttermost step of their authority, and yield no more to a wife than to any other inferior. Such are they, one, who are never contented or satisfied with any duty the wife performs, but ever are exacting more and more. Two, who care not how grievous and burdensome they are to their wives grievous by bringing such guests into the house as they know cannot be welcome to them, burdensome by too frequent and unseasonable inviting of guests or imposing other like extraordinary businesses over and above the ordinary affairs of the house. Too frequent imposing of such things cannot but breed much wearisomeness, unseasonable as when the wife is weak by sickness, childbearing, giving suck or other like means, and so not able to give that contentment which otherwise she would, cannot but much disquiet her, and give her great offense. 3. Who hold their wives under as if they were children or servants, restraining them from doing anything without their knowledge and particular express consent. 4. Who are over-busy in prying into every business of the house, and will have their hand in all. Besides that such husbands afford no opportunity to their wives of giving proof of that understanding, wit, wisdom, care, and other gifts which God has endowed them with, they take away that main end for which a wife was given a man, namely, to be a help. 
Such husbands cannot but neglect other more weighty matters, which more properly belong unto them. For observe it, and you shall find that such husbands as are most busy about the private affairs of the house appertaining to their wives are most negligent of such affairs as appertain unto themselves. They think they walk in integrity, but yet they are not just nor wise therein. For the just man walks in his integrity, and the wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way. That integrity which appertains to his own peculiar place and his own way but every fool will be meddling, namely, with things not belonging to his place. He references Proverbs 27, 14, 8, and 23. 5. Who are over-suspicious of their wives, and thereupon over-strict in taking account of them. St. Paul calls surmises evil, and that not without just cause. For evil they are in their nature, and evil in their effects, being occasions of many mischiefs, but in none so evil as in husbands over their wives. If a wife's fidelity, to whose good the welfare of the family and increase of the stock redounds as well as to the husband's, be without just cause suspected, who shall be trusted? It is the overthrow of many families that servants are trusted and not wives. Thus far of a husband's kind acceptance of that which his wife is willing and able to do. Section 20. Of Husbands Encouraging Their Wives in Good Things. The love which a husband owes to his wife further requires that he wisely commend and reward what she has well done. That which the Apostle says of the magistrate's authority may fitly be applied to a husband's in relation to his wife. Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. It is expressly noted in Proverbs 31, in the description of a good husband, that he praises his wife. And in that he says, Give her of the fruit of her hands, it is implied also that he rewards her. This is an undoubted evidence of his good acceptance of her duty, and a further encouragement to stir her up to go on and continue in well-doing. Yea, this is also an evidence of his joy and delight both in her person and also in her well-doing. If there be no delight in one's person, well-doing will rather stir up envy than joy, and they that envy a man's well-doing will never commend or reward him for it. In a husband's commending of his wife, this caveat must be put, that he do so order his commendation as it savor not of flattery or dotage, nor yet stir up lust or envy in others. Section 21. Of Husbands Ungrateful Discouraging Their Wives Contrary is an ungrateful, if not envious, disposition of such husbands, as passing by many good things ordinarily and usually every day done by their wives without any approbation, commendation, or remuneration, are ready to dispraise the least slip or neglect in them, and that in such general terms as if they never did anything well, so as their wives may well complain and say as it is in the proverb, Oft did I well, and that here I never, once did I ill, and that here I ever. Yet such will be ready to praise other men's wives, and upbraid their own wives with the examples of those other, when their own do far excel them in all kinds of goodness. What does this show but that either they take no notice of their own wives' goodness, or else by reason of the commonness thereof little regard it? If their wives have not the more grace in them, this disposition is enough not only to discourage them from doing any good duty, but also to breed jealousy in them, and to alienate their hearts from them. Section 22. Of a Husband's Mildness 
Hitherto of that respect which a husband is to have of that duty which his wife performs to him. For avoiding just offense, a husband must further have good respect to that which as duty he does to his wife. As kindly he must accept duty at his wife's hands, so mildly he must perform that duty which he owes to her. This mildness is a special fruit and evidence of love, and a notable means to take away all offense that otherwise might be taken from many things which he does. Sugar and honey are not more pleasant to the tongue than mildness to the heart. It causes such things as otherwise are irksome and grievous to the soul to be well taken and applied, even as bitter pills dipped in sweet syrup or rolled up in the soft pap of an apple are soon swallowed down and well digested. If a husband desire to be accounted a servant of the Lord, he must learn this lesson, for the servant of the Lord must be gentle to all men. 2 Timothy 2.24 if any other servant of the Lord, much more husbands, if to all men, most of all to their wives, and that in many respects. 1. Because of the near union between man and wife. 2. Because of the joint authority she has with him over others, that herein he may be a president and example to her. 3. Because of her weakness, glasses are tenderly handled, a small knock soon breaks them. Section 23 of husband's bitterness. Contrary is bitterness, a vice expressly forbidden, and that in particular to husbands, a vice that cannot stand with a husband-like love, whereupon the apostle commanding the one forbiddeth the other, love, says he, and be not bitter. Colossians 3.19 Nothing more turns the edge of his authority, perverts the use of his government, provokes the stomach of his wife, makes his words and deeds less regarded than bitterness. It is as gall and wormwood mixed with sweet and wholesome meats, which causes that they cannot be well digested, but with violence are spit out again so soon as ever they be tasted. Men in authority are much prone hereunto, and therefore, O husbands, be so much the more watchful against it. Love your wives, and be not bitter unto them. Section 24 Of the Titles Which a Husband Gives to His Wife the forenamed mildness of a husband must be manifested in his speech and in his carriage. For so far as reverence extends itself in the duties of wives, must mildness be extended in the duties of husbands. Whether a husband's speech be to his wife before her face, or of her behind her back, it must be sweetened with mildness. 1. For his speech to her. 1. The titles wherewith he calls her. 2 the instructions which he gives her, three, the commandments which he lays upon her, four, the reproofs wherewith he checks her, must all be mixed with mildness. Among other titles, the most ordinary and usual title, wife, is a mild and kind title, and least offensive of all other. If a husband give any other title to his wife, it must be such a one as manifests kindness, familiarity, love, and delight. Such are all the titles which Christ gives to the church as spouse, love, dove, with the like. I do not deny but that in the Song of Solomon and in other places of Scripture, many titles are given and speeches used by Christ to the church which are not meet to be used by husbands to their wives because they are metaphorical and hyperbolical. But yet in them all we may observe tokens of amiableness, kindness, and mildness, which is the end for which I have alleged his example. 
But contrary are such titles as on the one side set the wife in too high a place over her husband, as lady, mistress, dame, mother, and so forth, and on the other side set her in too mean a rank as woman, wench, and so on. And their Christian names contracted as Sal, Mal, Bess, Nan, and so forth, and names of kindred as sister and cousin, and opprobrious names as slut, drab, queen, and names more befitting beasts than wives as coal, brown, muggle, and so forth. Objection. These are titles of mildness, kindness, and much familiarity, for husbands call their wives by these names, not when they are angry with them and displeased, but ordinarily, and usually, even when they are best pleased. Answer. The mildness and familiarity which is required of a husband must be such as may stand with his authority in place of eminency, as some of those names do not, and with that near conjunction which is between man and wife above all others, as others do not, and with Christian gravity and discretion, as others do not. Christians, therefore, must take heed that by their practice they justify not corrupt customs. Section 25. Of a husband's manner of instructing his wife. To instruction the apostle expressly annexes meekness. Instruct, says he, with meekness those that oppose themselves. If ministers must use meekness when they instruct their people, much more husbands when they instruct their wives. If in case of opposition, meekness must not be laid aside, then in no case at no time. In this case, to manifest meekness, let these rules be observed. 1. Note the understanding and capacity of your wife, and accordingly fit your instructions. If she be of mean capacity, give precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. A little at once oft given, namely every day something, will arise in time to a great measure, and so arise as, together with knowledge of the thing taught, love of the person that teaches will increase. 2. Instruct her in private between yourself and her, that so her ignorance may not be blazed forth. Private actions passing between man and wife are tokens of much kindness and familiarity. 3. In the family, so instruct children and servants when she is present, as she may learn knowledge thereby. There can be no more meek and gentle manner of instructing than by one to instruct another. 4. Together with your precepts, mix sweet and pithy persuasions, which are testimonies of great love. Contrary is a harsh and rough manner of instructing, when husbands go about to thrust into their wives' heads, as it were by violence, deep mysteries which they are not able to conceive, and yet if they conceive not, they will be angry with them, and in anger give them evil language, and proclaim their ignorance before children, servants, and strangers. This harshness is ordinarily so fruitless, and withal so exasperates a woman's spirit, as I think he were better clean omit the duty, than do it after such a manner. Section 26. Of a husband's manner of commanding his wife anything. 3. The commandments which a husband gives to his wife, whether they be affirmative, bidding her to do something, or negative, forbidding her to do this or that, must all be seasoned with mildness, for which end respect must be had to the matter and manner of his commandments. In regard to the matter, the things which he commands his wife to do must be, 1. Such as are indeed lawful and honest. 2. Such as she is persuaded to be so. 3. 
such as beseems her place. 4. Such as are of weight and moment. And on the contrary, the things which he forbids must be, 1. Such as are indeed unlawful to be done. 2. Such as he can evidently prove unto her to be unlawful. 3. Such as are unbeseeming her place. 4. Such as will have some evil and mischievous effect if they be done. 1. To command a thing unlawful, or forbid a thing which ought to be done, is to bring his own authority into opposition with God's, in which case he brings his wife into this strait, either to reject God's commandment or his. How then can she think that her husband loves her, when he brings her into such snares and straits, that she must needs fall into the gulf of God's displeasure, or knock against the rock of her husband's offense? Mildness is far from such commandments. 2. The like may be said of such things as to a wife's conscience seem to be sinful, if they be enjoined to her, or her bounden duty if they be forbidden, especially if she have any ground for her conscience out of God's word. The conscience is subject to God alone. If it be forced, it would be a fearful horror, and a very hell in that party whose conscience is forced. She that doubts is condemned, if she do that whereof she makes doubt. 1. Objection. In doubtful matters, the commanding power of a governor is sufficient warrant and ground to resolve the conscience of them that are under authority. Answer. 1. In things merely doubtful, concerning which the party in subjection has not warrant out of God's word one way or the other, it may be so. But when the conscience does not doubt and hang in suspense, but is out of some ground taken from God's word, persuaded that that which is commanded is unlawful, or that which is forbidden is a bounden duty, then to do this, or to leave that undone, is to the party so persuaded as sin. And this is the doubting, whereof the apostle speaks, that condemns a man. In this case, to urge a wife to do this or not to do that, is to urge her to sin, which a mild spirit and a loving heart will not do. 2. Though the husband's command be sufficient warrant to the wife, and if he peremptorily press her to this or that, she ought to yield. Yet the love and mildness required of a husband should make him so to tender her as to remit something of his power, and when he sees her conscience troubled about his command, to relieve her conscience by forbearing to press that which seems so burdensome to her. A husband may sin in pressing that too much upon his wife, which she upon his pressing may without sin yield unto. Section 27 of a husband's wise carriage when his wife is erroneously scrupulous. Second objection. What if a husband, upon his knowledge, observe his wife to be erroneously scrupulous, and to misinterpret and misapply the word of God, which she makes the ground of her scruple? Answer. He must first labor to resolve her conscience by a plain discovery of her error, which is a true and great token of love. If notwithstanding all that he can do in that kind, she cannot be brought to yield to that which he would have, then he must carefully observe these two things. 1. Whether her refusing to yield be an obstinacy or weakness. 2. Whether it be about a slight or weighty matter. By the reasons which she renders and her manner of pressing them, he may discern whether weakness or obstinacy makes her stand out against him. If the reason which she rests on, taken from God's word, be doubtful, 
and to one that has not a good sound judgment and a sharp discerning wit, it may appear to make something for her, it is to be presupposed that there is more weakness than stoutness in her. But if she can render no good reason, but only take every show that any way seems to incline to her wards, and peremptorily holds the conclusion, and stiffly stands on her own resolution, though the vanity of her pretenses be evidently discovered to her, so as she has not anything further to object, or if she render no reason at all, but her own thought, conceit, and will, and yet refuses to yield, surely obstinacy possesses her heart. In case of obstinacy, it is very expedient that a husband stand upon his power to maintain his authority, and by the best wisdom he can, using only such means as are lawful, bring her to yield from her stoutness to that which he requires, especially if the matter be weighty, as in case a religious man have married to a popish wife, and she by no reason will be moved to forbear going to Mass, or yield to go to the preaching of the Gospel. But if through weakness she cannot be persuaded of the lawfulness of that her husband requires, and the matter required be of no great consequence, nor the weakness of her conscience cause any great error, a husband ought so far to manifest his mildness as to forbear to press her conscience. Section 28. Of a husband's forbearing to press things unbeseeming a wife's place. 3. Things unbeseeming the place of a wife are dishonorable unto her, for a husband to urge his wife by strict charge to do them implies more rigorousness than mildness. Had the spirit of that stout monarch Ahasuerus been more mild towards his wife, he would not have so far pressed his wife unto so unseemly a thing as he did, namely, to come before all his princes and people to make a show of her beauty. It is true indeed, as we showed before, that she offended in refusing to yield thereunto, he peremptorily requiring it. But that offense on her part does not justify his fact, and free him from all blame. It is noted that he was merry with wine, when he gave that commandment whereby it is intimated that his practice was more beseeming a drunken than a sober man. Such is their practice who exact of their wives to do such businesses as beseem maidservants rather than wives, or strumpets rather than honest women as to go to taverns, alehouses, playhouses, and such places where light companions be. Section 29. Of a husband's pressing his authority in weighty matters. 4. To use a man's authority about weighty matters, matters of moment, makes it to have such weight in it as it will much better be regarded. For thus a wife will either be brought to yield unto that which is commanded, or to condemn herself for not yielding. Yea, thus a wife may see that it is not his own will so much which makes him to use his authority in commanding, as the necessity of the thing itself, which redounds especially to her good that does it. For the performance of a duty is for the most part advantageable to the party that performs it, so as hereby a husband shows love to his wife in pressing that which he presses. This token of love, that it may the better appear, it is behooveful that a husband add to his commandment just and weighty reasons, that thereby his wife may the better discern the meetness, lawfulness, expediency, and necessity of the things commanded. We know that all the things which God commands are weighty and necessary, yea, his will, being the very rule and ground of all goodness, makes things absolutely necessary, yet unto his commandments he uses to add weighty reasons. 
showing on the one side the benefit and blessedness that will come to such as obey his commandments, and on the other side the mischief and misery that will fall on their pates who refuse to obey, whereby he shows the great good respect which he bears to us and the earnest desire he has of our good. Thus may a husband, even in his commandments, show much love and kindness. Section 30 Of Husbands Too Great Pride in Commanding Contrary is the peremptory pride of husbands when they will have their own will done. It boots not whether the thing commanded be lawful or unlawful, whether their wives' consciences can yield unto it or not, whether it stand with the honor of their places or not, and whether it be weighty or light, their will it is, it should be done, and done it shall be, there is all the reason they will give. Some think it a glory to command what they list, and think that there is no proof of their authority and of their wives' subjection, but in such things as upon their own will, without any further ground or reason, they command. If such husbands meet with confronts, if though they command much they find not answerable performance, they may thank themselves, who run the ready course to have their authority contemned and even trodden underfoot. You've reached the end of Track 1 of Duties of Husbands from William Gouge's work of Domestical Duties, published by Stillwater's Revival Books. Stillwater's website is puritandownloads.com. They may also be reached by phone at area code 780-450-3730. Please check out their website for their amazing Puritan hard drive, a collection of over 12,500 reformational resources on a portable USB hard drive. Please continue listening with Track 2.